Welcome to episode 123 of the Game Boss Podcast. I'm your host, Eric, and this is my co-host. It's Christian. On this week's episode, Christian and I both watched the documentary Bob Ross, Happy Accidents, Betrayal and Greed, and I watched season two of the television series Dave and Christian saw the recently released Shang-Chi. But first, Christian, you and I both watched the documentary Bob Ross, Happy Accidents, Betrayal and Greed. Were you a fan of Bob Ross growing up? I don't know. I, I don't really remember him growing up. I know I watched him a little bit, but I don't think I really watched him like religiously like some people did. I uh, I became much more aware of him when I was probably like in my late teens. Yeah, I never actually, like, I was tangentially aware of him. I think he was like on PBS or something, so I would see him every once in a while, but I really only knew who he was, and then, like, in 2013, he really blew up when Twitch, uh, like, started streaming his stuff, and then he had, like, a huge resurgence, which I think really uh, funded the Bob Ross Incorporated, uh, <laughs> like, very nicely after, I have to imagine, his popularity waning for, like, 20 years. Right. So this was just more or less a documentary on Bob, Bob Ross's life. Was there... Anything in here that really stood out to you that surprised you? Well, I think first and foremost that the the hair was not natural was a, a big shock right out of the gate. Yeah, that's honestly was the biggest bombshell for me was he had straight hair <laughs> and then he, just, he like they they had a whole segment on how much he loved perms. Right, yeah, I I they kept showing pictures of him from when he was younger and it was just like straight shortcut hair and I was like, "Oh man, this is it's like dissonant. That was weird to look at. Yeah. Uh, and the other was weird is like, I, I had like read a story and heard some stuff on podcasts about Bob Ross's estate. So I feel like that is where a lot of the bombshells were dropped, but I'd sort of had a background on this. So this just like nothing really new was brought to the table for me on this one. So I feel like I had a skewed view on if I like this documentary or not. I, I don't know about you though. So I did like this documentary. It it didn't contain a whole lot of like I don't know like real gripping content. I'm happy it was it was just a short doc. I'm trying to imagine them trying to stretch something like this out into like a eight episode Tiger King or something, and it would have been just hellish to, to stay focused on. But there was a lot in there that I think I didn't know about. Like I I didn't know really anything about the lawsuits for his like naming rights or anything. I didn't know anything about the. Kowalski's and their kind of crazy schemes going on behind the scenes. I was just kind of aware of the, like the guy doing his paintings. I didn't know any of this was going on behind the scenes. Yeah, I, I didn't. I, like I've heard about this earlier this year and like listened to like a 40 minute podcast on it. So, I, but yeah, I feel like if you don't know this stuff, this is a good introduction, especially because like for what was like Bob Ross's very coming presence, like his entire I don't even want to say estate, but like Bob Ross Incorporated and what happened to his naming rights and likeness and stuff is just actually a terrible story. Like the real story yeah. here is what happened to his son, Steve, more so than Bob. Right. Yeah, that was that was rough to especially right towards the end where you're you got that kind of quick glimmer of like, oh, he like he whatever bequeathed his estate to his son. And then it was like, ah, but not enough of it. <laughs> yeah. It's it's one of those things where, like, looking at this, 
I'm just like, he did a terrible job setting up this company with the Kowalskis because when his wife died, he automatically was a minority owner because they were obviously going to side against him. They like split the shares for more or less four what like the power four ways. Right. He should have they he should have really fought to have this drafted a completely different way where like his wife's interests would have vested completely in him. So then it was like fifty fifty. I mean, like he made so many mistakes on setting up like a very valuable estate. Also like naming his brother in law or brother, I can't remember exactly what he was, as a fifty one percent owner versus son's forty nine percent because he's worried his son was too young. But his son was like thirty. That's old enough to run <laughs> stuff. It's just a lot yeah, of Yeah, I I hadn't realized that. I, I was I guess I wasn't paying that close attention. I had assumed when they said like, Oh, it was because I was young, I thought he was gonna end up being like 16 or 17 i hadn't realized he was in his 30s already that's, yeah maybe, that's crazy maybe he wasn't his 30s but like when you first saw steve on like the joy of painting he looked to be in his teens and i have like it was on for like so, like at least a decade and a half or something right like, i imagine the dude was at the very least in his late 20s yeah that's true so that was like what was frustrating to me about watching this was just like poor estate planning <laughs> in the long term um what what else in this documentary really stuck out to you? Because it's it's a hard one to talk about. Because other than like the estate stuff, like Bob Ross lived a not a I don't know. Like the the joy of painting is interesting, but also it's a hard thing to describe over like a podcast. It is, yeah. I I guess I think the biggest thing that I was kind of surprised about was they said at a certain point that like he didn't really know what kind of a like effect he had on people. Like I guess he he knew to uh to some degree like how popular he and his show had become, but like they did that segment towards the end where they were they were interviewing people who that who were like like I had a like a miscarriage or like I was like suicidal basically, and like I started watching these painting shows and they really like helped me to to kind of like recenter myself and and he didn't really ever know anything about that. Like I I yeah I. I don't know. It's just surprising to me that, like you said, the the way he set up his estate was just kind of like, I don't know. It was like a a Jenga tower. Everything was just kind of haphazardly thrown together, and it's like he wasn't fully aware how valuable his intellectual property was. Yeah, it was weird too. Like for a pe- what was like a public access show, like Bob Ross was weirdly popular in the eighties, like he had huge crowds of people like coming to check him out and stuff. Like I, I could not believe that. I couldn't believe when they showed the house that he used to paint in that they just like threw a, a black sheet up over the fireplace. And like, that was his quote unquote studio. Yeah, that was, that was also crazy. I mean, it's, but they had a full cast. So like, I imagine they're operating on somewhat of a shoestring budget, but also like they had like, a full crew to film him and yeah. he would go through what like two or three episodes a day they said which is also crazy because oh yeah that's he so was much just painting churning them out but i mean if you can produce a painting in 30 minutes why not paint for like three hours and then you've got however whatever like a week's worth of content that's true i didn't realize that he also used some sort of special technique where you had to like prime the canvas first that allowed for the oil painting to drain quicker i, I did not know that was part of his thing either yeah, that was interesting. I, yeah, I just, they said, like, oh, yeah, we just threw a, a blank sheet up over the fireplace, and I kept thinking, like, wouldn't the fireplace be, like, better? 
I don't know, unless it was just a really crappy fireplace. I just kept like, thinking like like a fireside thing, like you you put a, a the canvas up next to an, a nice like a nice fire. It might be cool, and we would be like nice and ambient. But no, they just wanted the blank sheet. Yeah, my guess on that one is it has something to do with like you wanting contrast and to focus on the painting instead of like looking at at other things. My yeah, guess is great. like it didn't contrast great against like a fireplace in some way. I also had realized that he he painted like a lot of mountains and winterscapes because he either grew up in or he spent like a big chunk of his life in Alaska. You said, yeah, that was also uh, I guess somewhat surprising. I guess not so surprising though. Like I mean, he does do a ton of landscapes. I'm surprised you remembered so many of them though. If those were actually based <laughs> on real things. Uh, he was also in the army, which I or I guess the armed forces in some way. I don't. I guess I don't mm-hmm. remember what branch. I was also a little bit surprised about that. So the the crux of this documentary is basically about these two other people who were like his business partners, the Kowalskis, who kind of like screwed over everybody else that like ever touched this this brand in any way. And I guess they're just kind of ruthless. Like they said right at the top that over 12 people had agreed to do this documentary and they all backed out because they were afraid that the Kowalskis were going to sue them. Yeah, they were hyper litigious, it sounds like. <laughs> uh that's one of those things too where it's like they basically had a corner on the market and they were they were ruthless and very greedy it seemed like where they viewed bob himself as a as an asset more than as a person because right. a lot of the decisions they made throughout were just you know to monetize him i mean they tried to keep his his death a secret because they were worrying it was going to affect their bottom line that was crazy where they said they would call people and say, like, Bob died, this is when the funeral is, don't tell anybody. Yeah, also, like, why would you listen to them? <laughs> You're right. like, you don't work for them. You're going to be like, no, man, like, what? what? <laughs> oh, boy. It's the same with the contracts they made people sign if you wanted to become, like, a Bob oh, Ross art instructor. Like, you are paying these people. Why would you agree to these onerous terms? You Those know, like... contracts were insane. Yeah, and again, how booming was the art community in the 90s that like you were making exorbitant amounts of money on your own that you're like, I got to become a Bob Ross instructor. I mean, <laughs> I'm, I guess I, I like follow the local art scene here to a certain extent. And like the class turnouts are they're like, it's a good turnout if they get tens of people, you know, it's usually like single digits. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, I just I can't imagine going into like. I don't know, like a Zumba class or something, and having to sign a, a piece of paper that's like, hey, you're never going to go to any other Zumba classes or you'll be barred from this one forever. And you and have if to you, like, tell people, if you, like, rat on people. Yeah, and if you see anybody else go to another Zumba class, you have to tell on them. And if you wear anything but, like, our branded pants, we're going to sue you. And it was like, uh, no, I don't think I'll be attending this class in particular. Yeah, it's just ridiculous ridiculous the extent that they went to this on this and it's also infuriating because like bob ross's son steve basically got nothing from his dad's estate like he's nope you know his dad had a multi-million dollar estate and it seems like steve got nothing at all yeah well no they they said right at the end that he has not seen a single dollar in royalties from any of the the stuff that his dad set aside for him crazy also it's one of those things, too, where they actually had the deposition of where he found out that his uncle screwed him. 
that's just also just so frustrating because yeah. they're like co-trustees and stuff like that's just a fiduciary irresponsibility on his uncle's part and also like that steve also a trustee was kept in the dark on the negotiations of these things like I and the, know, i guess uh, i'd have to read the documents but it it seemed <laughs> ridiculous to me well, the, the, there were a couple of, like, I, I mean, I hesitate to call them, like, comedic beats in this documentary, because it definitely was not a funny, like, thing, but the, the, the scene with the uncle was one where he was like, so did you and your uncle have a bad relationship? And he was like, I mean, after the, like, the litigation we did, he was like, what about before that? And he's like, yeah, no, we didn't have a good relationship before that either. It's funny, and then because, there, sorry. No, go ahead. I was going to say, like, Steve does not come off as anything like Bob Ross at all. <laughs> like he's like chain smoking has like, and all this stuff. And it's just like, he doesn't seem like a calming presence. No, <laughs> but the, the other like funny beat to me was when they were talking about whether or not Bob had an affair with this Annette Kowalski and they, they ask like two people and they both like balk on, on the request. They're like, uh, Ask Steve. Steve would know. And it immediately cuts to Steve, and he starts, like, chugging coffee or something out of whatever mug that he, he had in front of him. And I just started laughing. He was like, I'm not going there. Do you know the the weird thing to me about the Bob Ross, Annette Kowalski, like, rumors is Annette seemed like she was 20 to 40 years Bob Sr. Like, she looked like she was at least 60 at that point. Yeah, you know? she looks it's so much older than her. So that was... Also surprising. Also, Bob Ross is apparently a flirt, which I didn't know. Yeah, that was interesting information to, to get. I will say, I think the most frustrating thing about this, like, present day, beyond just the fact that his son has never seen a dollar from his dad's estate, is that Annette is the only person alive today that can authenticate a Bob Ross painting. Yeah, I mean... And she's I guess like... She's like the, whatever, like the stakeholder in those paintings. So, of, of course, why wouldn't you just authenticate everything? Yeah, it's one of those things where you're like, who said that she is the main authenticator? Like, who's like, yeah, you have to go to her. But also, like, I guess to a certain extent, before all this information comes out, people are like, oh, you were friends with Bob Ross. He gave you all these things. Like, it makes sense. And then you start looking into it, and it's like, well, wait a minute. Like, <laughs> this doesn't make as much. Like, we shouldn't maybe give this person the lock and the key. Right. Yeah, that was that was shocking. Like that that just was frustrating, especially after it came out that the after the uh, the classes were done, they were just painting his signature on everything. Yeah, I mean. That's all. That was Especially shady. because, like, the, the only people to finally call them on it were, like, international people going, like, wait a minute. Right. And then they just, right. they just, like, forced him out of the company, and they were like, we're never going to talk to him or, or about him ever again. Yeah. Oh, my I people. will say, I will say I was, my, my jaw dropped just a little bit when at, like, the, like, 20 minutes before the end, they were like, oh, and by the way, this subplot has been happening in the Netherlands this whole time. I was like, whoa! Yeah, like he was internet only partially international, and they tried to take him to Europe, and then that's what happened. It's like this is a real like late moment for a like a scene change. One one other point I did think was actually kind of interesting. The director of this was Joshua Roth, who or Rof, I guess I don't know how you pronounce his last name, but he I watched a documentary of his earlier this year called Sasquatch, which I can't remember if we talked about on the podcast or not, but it was about um 
like murders up in California that were blamed on Sasquatch. Do you remember that? Not off the top of my head. Okay, I, maybe I just watched it on my own. But yeah, he did a documentary I watched earlier this year. So we must not have talked about it. Um, but that, that's also kind of piqued my interest. But I was, I was a bigger fan of that other documentary. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so this one does not have any budget info, but Christian, do you know how this has fared with the critics? Yes. So this has a 73% critic score on Rotten Tomatoes. It has a 90, or no, sorry. It has a 78% from the audience, which is, it's it's all right. Like, it's probably about on par for what I would expect. Like, this is, it's interesting, kind of like, glancingly and i I don't know this is pretty much all the content that we needed from this like the information's out there now i I didn't really need any more of a deep dive on this Uh, so would you recommend our audience check this out probably like if 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 it doesn't pique your interest in like the first 15 minutes probably no sense really sticking with it if if you don't really care about bob ross then no Yeah, that's kind of where I fall. Like, this isn't one of the documentaries I've watched where I'm like, oh my gosh, this is such a crazy documentary, you need to watch it. If you were a fan of Bob Ross, I would say definitely check it out. And it's not a bad documentary, like, so I would say if you like biographical documentaries, I guess, I don't don't know what you call them, but, because it's more so like about Bob's life and then it only sort of gets into his legal troubles because it seems like they, and like you said, part of the issue is it seems like they could only get like four people on camera to actually talk about this. Right. So it seems like a very, I don't know if it's skewed is the right word, but it's like, it seems very narrowly focused, which uh, I think hurt my enjoyment of it a little bit, but it's not, a, it's not <laughs> a bad documentary. All right, in these past uh, week, Christian, I watched season two of Dave. Uh, Dave is a show about the rapper Little Dicky, where I think it's like somewhat based on truth about his real life because some things I know happened in his life get touched on it. But it's it's a comedy series on FX or FXX. I I'm not sure which one it airs on. I watched it on Hulu. Uh, have you heard of this? I remember seeing it advertised, but I don't really know anything about it. It's it's surprisingly good. Like, I knew who Little Dicky was and like found some of his songs humorous, but I wouldn't say I was like a Little Dicky fan before I watched Dave. And it's like a good sitcom. Like, it feels sort of like Curb Your Enthusiasm a little bit, but also it's hyper focused just on like this one guy, like this white rapper who's a joke rapper, sort of trying to make it in like the world of music. And season two starts off a bit slow but I, th- I think it ramps up at the end but it, it it like entirely focuses on like the main character's ego which i wasn't anticipating and like how his choices affect the entire other cast's life and like you know how egotistical you actually have to be to succeed in certain fields because you're trying to be the best and stuff and, and it like does a really good job of walking a line of being humorous but also like weirdly a drama which you're not expecting about a rapper whose name is Lil dicky um and so i I, if you saw season one i would definitely say check out season two i i ended up binging it all and i think it was one night like i it was the day before uh labor day or whatever and i had didn't have work the next day so i ended up just staying up and watching which rarely happens um (laughs) 
Critic-wise, this has a 91% on Rotten Tomato, and the uh, with uh, and the audience has a 76%. That actually flipped from last season because last season the audience had 91 and the critics had 76. So it's a a weird flip on on that one. But I I thought it was, I think it's uh, definitely worth checking out. Um, I think if you watch the first two season or two episodes of like season one, you 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 will be able to tell if you will enjoy the show or not. Like I don't think it's one that's going to grow on you. It's one you'll be able to tell right away if like the humor is uh to your tastes right right and christian now you have watched the recently released shang chi which is the officially like the new i don't want to say like it's not the newest movie of phase four because i think black widow was but it is the newest like next step after spider-man homecoming or spider-man far from home uh how was it it was great like this is probably top three favorite mcu movies for me right now well that's high praise and i'm kind of surprised because i mean i've seen a little bit about this but i don't know we've talked about it a lot on this show of how i have marvel fatigue so i won't get into it (laughs) what is the general plot of shang chi so I didn't really know anything about Shang-Chi going into it. I was just like, ah, oh, this like this looks cool. I like the the martial arts, so I'll like I'll I'm, I mean, I'm, of course I'm going to watch it. It's an MCU movie and I can get in for free, so <laughs> I I have nothing to lose. Um but it was it blew me away. I was I was thrilled. So it's about uh this kid, I mean I mean kid, he's I think in his like mid 20s, uh named Sean who is actually Shang-Chi. And he is the son of the leader of the Ten Rings, which is like a international mercenary group. And he's like hiding from his his father. And then, you know, it's one of those where like, oh, well, your past catches up with you. And so he gets pulled back into this world. But his dad is in charge of this mercenary band and has been for a thousand years because he is immortal. Because he has these, they're like, big bracelets that run up his arm. He has five on each arm, so ten rings, and they give him, like, magic powers. Um, how... So, my biggest question is, how do they... What does the Marvel world look like post-Endgame? In post, I guess, Far From Home? Because we saw it a little bit in there in Winter Soldier and stuff. You don't get into it too, too much at this point. Like, you get into it in the post credit scenes. Uh, Wong is in this for a few minutes from... Uh, Doctor Strange, and it it seems like he's going to be in a position where he's going to be like the new Nick Fury almost. He seems like he's going to be the one that are like that's going to be gathering the new like powered people, and so it it also seems like they're kind of systematically trying to go through and replace the old team with with new faces. Like uh, Florence Pugh looks like she's probably going to be the new Black Widow, the the sister from the Black Widow movie, uh, and so this. This doesn't really deal with the larger MCU too much. This is basically just an origin story movie. So it's it's like the first Thor where you really only get his story. Gotcha. Who who's the big bad in this one? It's a mix of things. So it's it's mostly the dad. The dad is like evil and always has been, but he's got these, you know, magic bracelets that let him never age. And so then he becomes convinced that his dead wife is locked behind a magic door. 
in another dimension. So his the 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 mother is from Talo, which is like one of the like Shangri La like secret magic worlds from the the Marvel universe, like where Iron Fist is from. And so they they like have to like break into this pocket dimension, and he's trying to save his dead wife, even though it's not her. It's this like interdimensional monster that's like it, it has like psychic powers and it's trying to trick him into letting it out uh it, are, so it sounds like there's only one cameo are there any other like good cameos that aren't spoilery in this not really there there are like three big cameos wong is one of them but the other two i don't want to say because they're post credit scene stuff okay uh how is aquafina in this it's funny. She's like the the little sidekick. She just kind of comes along for the the ride. Whereas like he and his sister are they don't have any powers but they're like super they're they're kind of like Black Widow. They're like almost super soldiers. They've been trained since they were like 8 years old to be assassins by the this mercenary band. Um so they're they're like badasses. But yeah, Aquafina's just kind of this valet driver who's friends with him and gets in like way over her head (laughs) (laughs) oh man um this is more like a mystical part of the mcu like they they do go into this other this like hidden shangri-la world and there's all sorts of like mythical creatures and things in there uh the like there's little dragons and phoenixes that you get to see so this is much closer to like the doctor strange like magic side of things than it is to any of the other parts of the MCU. Hmm. And that's that's probably why we get the Wong cameos. Does this have you excited for the next phase of uh the Marvel MCU? It does. Black Widow kind of did too. I'm I'm going to be honest, like the the year without Marvel in 2020 was I think exactly what I needed to get over my Marvel fatigue because <laughs> I still I haven't watched any of the shows, so I, like Black Widow was the first new Marvel property I'd seen since Spider-Man. I Man, if I ever get time, I will try and go see this one. But this one might be uh, waiting until I watch on Disney Plus. Like Black yeah. Widow, I, I think has to be coming on Disney Plus soon, so I can check that out. I would think so. Oh, I, I did also want to say there is one one cameo that I'd forgotten about, and like, I, I would be furious with myself if I forgot to mention it. Ben Kingsley is back. Oh, really? I was going. I was wondering if the Mandarin was going to be in this at all. But then when you said it was his dad, I was like, oh, I guess not. Yeah, so the Mandarin in in the MCU version of the Marvel world is like a, a fake made up character. That is just Ben Kingsley. Right. But I guess Guy Pierce's character in Iron Man 3 knew about the Ten Rings and he based Ben Kingsley's performance on the the they they only say his name once and I can't remember what it is. They they just keep calling him father. They he he's like loosely based on their dad, the the actual leader of the Ten Rings. Okay. And <laughs> after Ben Kingsley was arrested in Iron Man 3, I guess the Ten Rings broke him out of jail to execute him for his crime of like <laughs> impersonating their father and then he did a Macbeth performance for them and they loved it so they just kept him alive as like a jester that's hilarious it's it's great he's he's in this probably about as much as he's in iron man 3 and i was so happy to have trevor back that's great (laughs) Uh, so christian do you know how this fared with the critics yeah really really well this has a 92 percent critic score on rotten tomatoes and a 98 percent audience score and i 
fully agree with the audience. Like, this movie was a blast. I never knew I wanted like kung fu from the MCU, but I it's all I want now. Uh, and then, do you know how this fared at the box office? Because I know that's been a big issue with movies in the past COVID years. Pretty well. Like this, they're they're starting to talk about the scenes starting to kind of come back. Shang Chi did really really well. So its budget was two hundred million dollars. And just domestically, since it's released, it made almost 150 million, and it's already made almost 260 million overseas. So it's it made its money back and more. So hopefully, this is the the beginning of kind of the return to normalcy. Yeah, that's good. that's also crazy too. Thinking of like what's considered a, you know, a hit now. This would have been a bust right. in 2019. You know. Oh yeah, with these crazy. numbers for sure. Um, but yeah. So yeah, next next one up is Eternals in about two months, and then Spider Man three around Christmas time. They really did jam a lot into the last quarter of the year here. Yeah, they're churning them out. Got <laughs> to make up for lost time. Thanks for listening, guys. If you'd like to contact us, we are at Gambots Network on Twitter, or you can email us at gambots.blog at gmail.com. Also, we have a website now if you want to check that out. That's gambotsnetwork.com. And finally, if you're listening to somewhere where you can rate and subscribe, we'd appreciate it as that does help with marketing. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Thank you.